The world as we know it has fundamentally changed. What was once considered the future of work is here now. We are operating in an all-digital, work-from-anywhere world. More and more consumers are supporting brands that align with their personal values. It's the values-driven firms that will rebound sooner and grow faster in this new world. Salesforce has partnered with Singapore Community Radio to bring you this podcast. We want to explore the opportunities and the challenges of this new world. We want to talk about the ways in which we will work going forward, how businesses can be a platform for change, and how technology will continue to impact the world. We have some amazing thought leaders, executives, and community advocates joining us, and we hope it sparks some inspiration and innovation for you. To learn more about us, you can head to our blog at salesforce.com slash ap slash blog. Hi, I'm Simone Heng and welcome back to the latest episode of Salesforce's Digital Imperative. So excited today to have such a lady boss with us. <laughs> Avis Eastall is the Regional Head of Consumer at Lux Asia. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. This is so exciting because we have had a previous chat and I just think your story mm. is incredible. Um, you came out to Asia how many years ago? Eight years ago. It was a bit of a whim. Well, tell me how, how you ended up here. What brought you here? So we was working in the UK, my husband and I, we've got two children and my husband was running his own business and it's tough running your own business, but worse than that, there was no summer. <laughs> and we'd had no summer for six years and my husband needs sun. So he came home one day and he said, Avis, get on the global list. And I was like, yeah, 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 we're not doing this. So I pressed yes on the list. Eight weeks later, we moved to Singapore. And so where was this list part of your previous organization? Yeah, I worked for a FTSE 100 company and mm -hmm. there's a mobility list. So, you know, you can change your status to mobile or not mobile. And I was thinking, you know, you change it in maybe three years time. Someone <laughs> might come and see You're you. Like, and is, are people looking yeah, at the list? Yeah, you know? just like, yeah. oh, no, this doesn't work. Like, it's really not going to work. Anyway, so I changed my, my status. Um, one of my brilliant HR business partners said, oh, there's this guy coming in from Singapore next week. Want to meet him for coffee? So I'm like, okay, I'll meet him for coffee. Still thinking nothing would happen. So I meet him for coffee. We talk. He says, oh, you could either work here or here. Where would you prefer? And I'm like, well, fit me to where. But I, I prefer Singapore because my mum grew up here. My grandfather wow. was actually here in the late 1940s. He was in the, in the Raj, 40s. the Raj era? In the colonial era. In the yes. colonial era. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, I claim a little bit of Singaporean That's because incredible. of my heritage. So I've, I've grown up hearing these stories of Singapore and and. Uh, Loved it from afar. Never been here. Mm -hmm. So he said Singapore and we got on a plane. And um, I signed the contract without coming. Like I just moved to Asia. We brought our youngest daughter. Our eldest was in university. So how long between the, the getting the offer and moving was it? It was um, about four weeks. Wow. Long enough to come to Singapore, do a quick tour of the region, find somewhere to live, find a school. Went back, packed, moved my daughter to university. My husband laughed because <laughs> he picked me up from the airport in the van, in the moving van. We moved her to Leeds. Apparently when I wasn't cleaning things or carrying things, I was asleep. And then we come back, moved our house and then came to, to Singapore. Big party before we left, of course, to say bye to people. That's incredible. Probably a good thing that you did have a big party because eight years. How long were you intending to be here? Two. But yeah. Like, why leave? 
beautiful exactly here, isn't it? What a great country it is incredible and a wonderful place to be right now amongst what's happening with the pandemic mm. it really is um and so then you're in your job here in singapore mm. how do you get to what you do now at luxasia so I, I used to be in digital in the UK and I moved back to my roots, which is um, nerd, IT, business Love analysis, it. you know, proper tech stuff. And I went back into banking and banking is a good industry, but it's really not for me. It's really slow <clears throat> and digital is really fast. So two years in, I wasn't thriving there. You know, I was I was really not enjoying it. And I didn't want to go back to the UK. I wanted to keep Singapore but lose the banking. So I came out, worked for a luxury concierge company for a year as a contractor and then moved on to Lux Asia, really back into digital but client side. Client side is so much different from vendor side. It gives you a totally different perspective in life. And, you know, I've been there four years and absolutely adore it. So tell us exactly what you do at Lux, Lux Asia. So I'm head of consumer. So it's kind of a broad, broad role. My main things are marketing, analytics, data, customer experience. I've also got creatives. I've also got a view on the business and how we talk to our customers and what we should do. I talk pricing. You know, I make sure that we've got great, exciting content that goes out to consumers and I also do things that kind of help teach people digital marketing. That's my thing. You know, I'm. Does that really turn you on? Is that? I the love it. <laughs> so we've got you know 100, 200 brand managers, and I teach them data. I teach them marketing. Okay, teach me something or our listeners something. Very simple. Okay. If you can. So the simplest thing to think about is how are you going to get people to buy again? And that's a very yeah. simple thing. And the way to measure it is how quickly do they buy again, and how much do they spend? And if you don't have those metrics, you're kind of just guessing stuff. But if you have those metrics, you see what they buy first, you see what they add, you know what marketing to send mm -hmm. because that's what consumers are responding to. And it's not always the heroes that the brand thinks they have. Consumers have their own heroes. So you have to listen to what the consumers want, not what you want to sell them. And when you do that, it becomes really interesting. It's quite enlightening. Yeah, or the sales must just go up because you're giving people what they want. How did people? How did companies ever fare before without all this data? What is the most surprising thing that you have discovered about consumer behaviour from the numbers? So I think before we all worked on intuition and intuition takes you a long way and people who understand the business have got a good feel for it and they talk to the people on the floor and the people who work in store are fabulous. They can give you great insights too, but only in their bit of the world. I think the things data shows you is how customers buy. So when I started, we had a view that they kind of stack within a brand forever. So if you're a fragrance customer, we assumed you'd be a bit like me. You buy the same fragrance and you stick with it forever. But people don't. They have a portfolio of fragrances and they buy loads across that portfolio. Loads of different brands, loads of different skincare. So what we found was that actually just saying they're going to buy this brand isn't the answer. Certainly for fragrance, you have to talk about the portfolio and give people choice and give them content about new launches or, you know, these are the florals or these are... Yeah, because otherwise people just... I mean, I just have the same fragrance forever. Oh, yeah, we're kind yeah. of weird. We're in the, we're in the <laughs> we? sort of 4 or 5%. That's not most oh, okay. people. Sorry. Okay? It's not, Sorry. It's not, it's not us. Um, so most people don't. In fact, in Singapore, most people have eight... So um, if you look at that, it really changes how you think about marketing. Because mm -hmm. if I just told you, if you were someone who collected fragrances about the same fragrance all the time, eh, that wouldn't work, would it? But yeah. if I tell you about all the new great things and you can then explore them, 
then you're more likely to buy one of our fragrances because you're going to buy a fragrance. So why not buy one of our portfolio of fragrances? And I think data shows you that, you know, before you assume, now you know. Yeah, that is really fascinating. I really love that line as well when people go to me, oh, do you think that? And it's like, no, I know that. I know that because the data tells me that answer. And that's a fab answer to be able to give, isn't it? Data is such an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite speakers, I follow Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. When you read her books, because she was a researcher before she became a speaker or an author, her statements are not just statements about like connection vulnerability. She says, you know, if I go back to the data, hundreds and thousands of interviews over 30 years that she's done, she can correlate trends. So they're not random statements. They're backed by data. So I think that's fascinating. It's it's very funny. When I first started one of our stores, I said, what do your customers look like? And they said they're 25 to 35-year-old yoga lovers. I'm like, (laughs) wow, that's amazing. How do you know that? Isn't that that half of Instagram? Uh, (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's a bigger bit we're not looking at. They're not actually. They're, They're 18 to 70. I'm sure some of them love yoga. But universally, it doesn't appear to be a trend. Mm -hmm. So I think we can look at these things and say it's very easy to make a generalisation. Oh, the sales went up on that day because it was the day after Chinese New Year or it went down on that day because it was Chinese New Year. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. There's different trends in Mm -hmm. there. So one of the things I love saying to people is, do you know that or do you think that? Because if you think that it's based on your own perception, that may not be the world. Because how can you possibly see all of it? You can only see your part. So I think that's what's really interesting about my role is I can be talking to people about any part of the marketing funnel and they'll say to me, oh, the brand wants to know how many of these customers do this. I'm like, well, what would they do with that if they knew that? You know, the answer is 72. What are you going to do with that now? Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting that once you have the data, it always makes you ask better questions. And that is the real um, beauty of teaching Mm -hmm. people because you teach them to ask better questions. And when people come back to me and they go, I really want to talk to my active customers only because my lax customers are going to get a different message. I'm like, yes, I win. We've actually got there. That's amazing. Now you are so passionate about the data, Mm. but are you a beauty girl as well? Because you're this you're in that area um do you have any story that or are you not a beauty girl you can tell us either way not traditionally no (laughs) I mean when when I took this job my friends back home laughed um so I'm I'm not a great makeup lover um I don't really like the feel of it I have one fragrance as I said I do use skincare I do use hen care but I do love beauty as a category I love how people react to it I love the emotion in it So I think I love beauty because I see how people react to beauty. That doesn't mean I have to use all of Mm -hmm. it. But I can also see the plus points of it. So we have a a shampoo, one of our best-selling shampoos, and it's for hair loss. Now, I have too much hair. It's never going to appeal to me, but I adore this No, I have not enough hair. I've got like two strands left. I'll give you the details. Yeah, But I love this product because our consumers love this product. So I can see that emotional connection. It's like I only buy this one fragrance, but I only buy this one fragrance because my auntie used to wear it and it smells of childhood. And that's really important to me. And there is nothing. There are so many other fragrances in the world, but there is nothing like the smell of childhood in them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that people have to have that emotional connection. So, you know, people will say, This is the fragrance I wore on my wedding day. This is the fragrance I wore on my first date. This is the fragrance when I got that job. This is the fragrance I put on in the morning when I just feel like, oh, I 
really don't want to go anywhere, but it's going to make me feel like I'm ready to embrace the world. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And that's the world I work in. I don't work in the world, the world of selling stuff. I work in the world of connecting people to things that they're going to love. And I think that's a, a very good thing to do. That's very, very exciting. Mm. Actually, after um, I last met you at the, the briefing, mm. I um, gave my helper some of the fragrances um, that I had from when I, I'd been gifted them um, from, you know, influencer stuff mm. that I had from bad dates that, you know, when I was single I, and, and I didn't want that smell in my house anymore because no. it, it correlated with like kind of being a bit lost. Um, so I think that's incredibly mm. powerful and really fun as an occupation. Um, so the term digital transformation is like mushrooming everywhere. This mm. is digital imperative, our, our series. What does that mean to you? So it's interesting. If you look at my career, I mean, I'm old enough that I started before digital was really a thing. I mean, <laughs> the internet was invented. I'm not that old, but... You Nola, know, I, you look great. I, look thank so you. Young. Well, I work for a beauty company, <laughs> so my skin should be okay, if nothing else. Um, but I, you know, I can remember getting our first laptop um, and connecting to the internet when you did it through phone lines. And, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't quite work out what I was going to do with it, but I really liked it. You know, there wasn't much to search at that point. Um, I can remember getting my first desktop computer and teaching myself how to type on it and how <laughs> to do PowerPoint and how to do Word. And like my children learn that at school now. So I think there's the basics that says it's a digital world. It doesn't matter whether people digitally transform or not. Our customers are digital. So you can't be part, you know, outside of it. You know, mm -hmm. It's very difficult not to be digital anymore. But I think digital transformation also becomes wider. So, you know, I work for Lux Asia. We've gone through this huge transformation in the last four years. We're in the fifth year now. And it meant everything in the organisation. So, yes, what I do, building data, building CRM, building marketplaces, of course, that's digital. But also how we pay our bills, how we submit our expenses, you know, how we, how we talk to each other. You know, Zoom and Blue Jeans and all these things are now standard. Isn't it wonderful? You don't have to be in the same place as people to look at them and talk to them and get connection with them. So this digital transformation goes everywhere. I talk to my 80 over year father on an iPad. I mean, sometimes I see all of his face. because Oh, I no, my mum loves to do the up the nose. Oh, I get like... Oh, no, I'm like, grey nose hairs, mum, really? Yeah, no, it's just his, his ears. <laughs> his ear looks great. And I'm like, get into... The, get in, like, you see the little... Yeah, but, but you know, he learnt that at 80 amazing um he learned to text at 70 so i think digital transformation is everywhere and it's marvelous and it gives accessibility but we also have to be careful because i was reading something about you know elderly people not being able to access things because they're not digitally mm. savvy and that really hit home with me the other day because my dad said oh i need a new pair of braces but i'm in lockdown and i can't get any and i said i'll send you some what color do you want and he'd never worked out that he could just phone me and say, I need this and I could send him things. And I yep. think that's really important that we have to make sure that people understand how that works. Because essentially older people would be excluded. Mm. Um, you know, when I go into malls now, it's really interesting when I see an old uncle or auntie behind me, they, they don't have the phone, the smartphone to scan the yeah. code. So it's so sweet. The safe entry people let them take their IC out and the IC will get scanned, mm. you know, that, but we are in danger of that. And which brings me to my next question. Um, about exclusion mm. from resources and equality. You are so passionate about mm. equality. I, and I love that. What what started this passion? So 
I mean, I don't get people who don't get equality. Why wouldn't you want people to be on a part? I mean, it just seems to be <laughs> like, just, what is We that? must have the same algorithm and receive all the same news, Avis, because I have been at dinner parties and confronted by um, the fact that it isn't, not everyone is on board. It's the not equality a universal ship. thing, yeah. Yeah. So I blame my Facebook algorithm, <laughs> frankly, for sending me liberal leftist news. Well, um, well maybe, maybe I'm a snowflake. Um, but, but, you know, I don't get why I would be better than you or anyone else in the world. Um, but I don't think it's just a case of gender and I don't think it's a case of colour. I think it's a case of privilege. And I, and I see lots of people who, particularly in the political world, abuse privilege. And that really, really doesn't work for me at all. So I grew up in the East End of London and I wouldn't say I had an underprivileged life by any stretch of the imagination. We lived on a council estate. We were, you know, we ate, we were normal, very normal family. But I didn't really have a view of the world outside of the East End of London. I didn't know what jobs there were out there. It didn't even occur to me that you could buy a house and you might need a solicitor to do that. I mean, it just... <laughs> It just wasn't a thing on my radar. Nobody did that. Or if they did it, I didn't see it. So um, so it's really important that people are given that access to things. So for me, that access came from a library. Mm -hmm. And I can remember as a child going to the children's library and just reading everything. And then they let me go into the adult's library. And wow, that was huge. And they had so many books. And that gave me education. And education is so really important because if you're not educated, if you can't read, you can't write, then you really have limited op options. And a few years ago, I worked for a company in Nottingham and we worked with a local school and it was a mile outside Nottingham. A very, very difficult area to live in. You know, dogs on ropes, lots of drugs. Oh, very, wow. It looked lovely during the day, but at nighttime it took on a different way. And there was children there who were the third generation who had, had parents and grandparents who had never worked. They couldn't read and write. And worse than that, they didn't think that was a problem. They'd never been into the centre of Nottingham. Now, it was a mile away. You could have walked it. We brought them into our business and we took them for lunch in the canteen and they thought it was like a five-star restaurant. Now, wow. those children have real disadvantage because when they're applying for jobs, nobody can help them with their CVs. You know, I've just been doing this with my eldest daughter she's applying for a promotion at the moment and we have copyright we've really really helped her hone this in she did all the work we just do the you know the bit when you can't see it anymore if you come from a background where nobody can read or write or you haven't got the connections to give you work experience you can't do that and it puts you at a huge disadvantage so I really think that what we need to be able to do is work on education and inclusion mm -hmm. and equality is the outcome of it. It's not the thing that we just have to say, I want equality, I want it now. That's, that's baseless. Yeah, it's like shaving your hair instead of plucking it out from the root, right? We're just, we're doing it at a later stage from mm. the funnel, basically. Yeah, definitely. You know, what my I mentioned you before off, offline that I studied in Switzerland. My host mum is the woman in the village that helps um, the refugees from Syria and Afghanistan mm. in the village f like print out their documents. Yeah. So the, the system puts them through all these incredible things to try and help them assimilate and get a job, mm. but they don't even have the basic tools at home to print that CV or the word like a word processor, a computer yeah. or anything to do it. And mm. my host mum rang me. She got really, she was really sad and really disheartened about it. She's like, you know, it, it's almost like there's these blind spots. Mm. Um, that's an incre incredible story. So I, I heard that 
um, you were telling me about your your daughter and mm. how she's um, going for this job. But you have another daughter, correct? Yeah. Who is in STEM? She's so um, my eldest daughter is going is in STEM. She is mm -hmm. a data scientist, and my youngest daughter is at university, and she's studying diversity and the world. So they're very different in the way mm -hmm. they think about the world. Um, so my eldest daughter will end up a rock star in data science. I have no doubt. She is <laughs> she is much better at data than I am. She's much more. But logical. she got it from her mama. Mm, I think she was born with it. So maybe she got it from her dad as well. <laughs> um, but she has this brilliant ability to do logic, to do maths, wow. to uh, to communicate as well. Because I think it's that combination. We do see a lot of people in IT, particularly traditional IT, when it was very male dominated, where they would just do the job but mm -hmm. not communicate they were doing it which was kind of infuriating for loads of people what i see with children and women particularly coming into stem now is they can communicate and they can do all of this fabulous stuff as well because yeah. they've grown up with it they think logically and i think that's a great you know that's a great place to be i know you know when sometimes people say oh the youth of today and millennials and i go yeah aren't they amazing amazing I mean, amazing i mean it, what we're saying is you know you're not one <laughs> thing you're not the artsy communicator and not good at science or this mm. and that you know that there's a contact of mine on linkedin who actually has a speaking career where her job is to teach scientists mm. who cannot explain and communicate their results yeah. and their data um she's actually got a career in teaching them how to do it because she mm knows both the science but also can communicate it um to the stakeholders with ease so you know that's it's so an amazing yeah it's amazing that that's a and, and she's like i think she's 10 years younger than me she's probably 25 to 27 so for me seeing that mm. and the things that come out of her mouth are so foreign to me i think wow the youth um what the internet has given them because i had an analog childhood yeah if we talk about digital imperative mm. like the the access to information should you be open to it yeah. it's just incredible it is interesting one of my lines um i think it might even be on my cv is that i can translate tech to human and i think that's a skill but also taking human back to tech is also a skill, skill. Um, and i see a lot of that and i also see great things with millennials and gen z so i see that they want different things i see this in their spending behavior but i also see that in the work and so, you know, and millennials want to see progression. Mm -hmm. They want to work in environments that give them, you know, a good feeling as they work each day. They want to learn. I mean, why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. I'm very lucky. I've had that most of my career. Most of it I've found myself. But why wouldn't we as employers have people who teach people these things so they get there faster? I would have loved people to have taught me this when I was younger. Yes. I got taught how to run profit and losses by one of my best bosses ever. And that stayed with me forever. You know, he yeah. taught me how to do it. He taught me how to not just look at the numbers, but look behind the numbers and understand. Now, that's a really important skill. And I think what we need to do is make sure we give people those skills. It's not just about reading and writing and being digital. It's about giving people the skills to interpret things. Mm -hmm. And once they have those skills then they do much better than you ever can. And that's good. One last question before mm. we sign off. You mentioned the difference in the behaviour of um, how millennials versus Gen Z spend their money. Mm. What, what's the biggest thing that you see as a difference? So I think it's about efficacy. So um, millennials, of course, are in the workforce. So they have more money. Um, the older millennials, of course, are at the point when they're starting to have skincare. 
um, and they're starting to go through different brands. So, you know, everybody starts at an entry level and then we upgrade and we mm-hmm. upgrade and then we might change as we have children, things like that. So what we do see is there's a different funnel for both of them. But what we do also see is organics coming through. You know, we see products that are not animal tested. And it's great to see the change in China coming up there as well. We're finally, that's great news. So we do see that connectiveness with the brand, which I think is really great. But we also see lots of trends that are exactly the same as everyone. So one of our stores, which is high-end niche and cult, that's very difficult to say today apparently, um, (laughs) everybody comes in and buys different things. So millennials will buy the different first purchase to Gen Z to boomers. But what we then get is the next thing they buy is all the same and it's all candles. So it's quite interesting that we're all very different but we all converge at some point. And I think we converge because of the beauty of, of things and the fact that we can see how that impacts our life, particularly when you're stuck indoors a little bit more and traveling a bit less. Yeah. So you treat yourself a bit more. So, you know, there's similarities, but there's also some differences, but maybe less differences than we think. It's fantastic to have spoken to you. Thank you so much, Avis Eastall. Thank you so much.